Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. So joining me today is Roger Arriaga, Executive Director at the Texas Affiliation of Affordable Housing Providers. How are you doing, Roger? Doing great, Dallas. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. Okay, so this is a question I kind of like to ask everybody because I want to, to the best degree possible, understand when this became clear, when when we could really sense that shift. So about when did you know that something was going to have to change, uh, that what we were hearing in the news wasn't just rumor, it wasn't just speculation, but it was real and it was scary? So the experience with our organization, TAP for short, by the way, is uh, back in February. So, you know, as we've been getting the, the inklings of information, we saw that there were some starting concerns in some of our major metro areas. Uh, and for us, uh, you know, the need for affordable housing, which is what our mission is, the development of it, uh, we've, you know, yes, it's always going to be a need. We have no idea that the extent and the degree to which uh, dealing with the whole COVID experience might even uh, change our current world because it's a multiply faceted issue, which is not only do we have our mission exponentially more important than it's ever been, but uh, we still have to survive as an organization. And a lot of our survival depends on, because we are a trade association, depends on people coming, participating, listening to our education events, coming to our conferences, all of which we had done previously uh, in an in-person format and only in, say, last fall, um, last November and then this January, did we even dabble into kind of a, a webinar f- uh, opportunity, figuring that at some point we would have to grow into it. So we gave it some practice, turned out very well for us. Uh, but when all this hit, we actually had to convert some already planned in-person events in April into a webinar format unexpectedly. And so uh, we knew that this was big in February. It was trinkling in March. We're looking out for what the July uh, experience might be like because that is the month of our major fundraiser and in an in-person conference. Uh, and then so we, we've been telling our members, we're watching, we're taking a look, we're monitoring, we'll let you know if anything changes. Uh, and then we're watching every other major conference in the country start folding. And, of course, when we started seeing that and our members started seeing that and our board of directors started seeing that, uh, we're having a lot more serious discussions about what that means for us as an organization. So we started taking it very seriously, uh, probably early to mid-March and it, and becoming only more intense, uh, through April. And of course, now we're at the, the cusp of our big event and we're still in some, uh, major decision making modes because what we don't know, Dallas, is how much of this is permanent? You know, how, how much we know things are going to change, but we don't know how much our operating is going to change. We're a 23 year old organization that's kind of had its feet dug into doing business a certain way and, uh, and members or board members that have thought only in one way to getting it done. And now we're having to really expand mindsets 
to change how this looks. So when did we get uh, the biggest inklings? I would say we, we looked at it in February, got much more concerned into March, and we remain concerned today. And so how did that transition go for you the, of, of going from being, uh, you know, we've always done business this way. We've always all come to work uh, to the office to suddenly having to go completely remote and everything is now having to be done virtually. How did that transition go? Was it smooth, rocky? What was it like? Well, I mean, I give it a lot to uh, IT guys making this look like geniuses last year or the year before when we started working with you guys because we are a statewide organization. And so our board of directors is statewide. But at the same time, um, you know, we are pulled. We're a small uh, trade association. And, and there are many times we're pulling multiple hats to get anything done. And because we do that, we needed a little bit of portability and we needed to I needed uh, and so did our staff needed the ability not only to be connected in office, but be co- to be connected out of office. Uh, what we didn't realize is how much the connect connectivity out of office was going to drive our lives, not knowing that there was a quarantine staring us in the face. So the transition for us uh, is as though we continued business um, as if nothing else had changed because we already had that capacity. In fact, I would tell you, my team and I would tell you, uh, we are busier today than we've ever been. So the quarantining has only led us to have more work hours going in, uh, not just because we're doing extra things due to the, the, the virus, uh, you know, and dealing with all that stuff, but, uh, but also because we're here and we're engaged. We're not spending two hours a day in traffic. We're using that time more productively, getting things done. So we're busy on a number of fronts. Uh, and so the transition ultimately worked very well, and it made it look like we had planned for this all along. Well, it's great to hear. And I, I want to be clear. I didn't ask that question just so uh, I could look smarter, but uh, I, I appreciate uh, the little plug. Uh, so I, I guess what I, what I want to know is you, you've, I've heard this from a couple of organizations of, you know, we're suddenly swamped or we're busier than ever. What does that increase in workload look like for you in the affordable housing universe? What, what What's causing that spike? The spike for us has a lot to do with the fact that we had a number of planned events, educational events, networking events, that we are actively rethinking, re-engineering, uh, recasting into virtual formats, which everyone I think would be doing. We're, we're also having much more serious discussions about how we survive as an organization in the long run since so much of what we do has depended on interactions, business development, um, our members sitting down and con- connecting with each other. There's a lot of viability to any trade association surviving, not just on the education events it puts out there, but on the business connections that it creates venues for. And so we are, you know, um, you know, on a dime having to pivot and to change how our business model is as a whole. So, uh, you know, you, you would have any number of trade associations in the same mode of trying to figure out, okay, here's the new reality. Number one, how permanent is it? And number two, if it's going to be permanent, what does our new business model look like if we're going to survive in this environment? <sighs> I, I can't even imagine what it must be like trying to retool everything suddenly to being uh, 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 virtualized for all of your members. 
so during this time, uh, how do you keep your staff from feeling like they're being crushed? Because I know you're a relatively small staff organization, which means everybody's wearing a lot of hats during this time. How do you keep them feeling motivated? Well, uh, the magic in that, Dallas, has a lot to do with the people that work for us. These are very motivated, passionate folks uh, that that understand our business. They understand what we do. They understand the importance to our members that we continue. And so having that kind of air of responsibility, not just the responsibility because we feel it, but um, you know, our natural inclination to stay engaged has been a lot of the driver to keep the staff motivated. You know, um, my, my staff, they, they're good planners. Uh, they need answers. They need to know what's happening next. So we connect much more often. Uh, you know, we, we in office, we're, we're always talking to each other outside of office. So the in-person connection certainly has been hampered. But what it's, what I have done and what my staff has done very well with is I've given them more leeway. I'm not giving them very strict requirements to say, I expect you to be uh, available from this time to this time. Uh, instead, what I am doing is I'm just being much more general about uh, here's what our goal is. Uh, here's what I need you to focus on. And here are the things that we need to collaborate on so that we're creating our products as a team. And we're and there's nobody in our group that has a singular responsibility that the others are not engaged with to some form or format. So it has a lot to do with the fact that our workload and we're already small has a lot to do with what each other does. Uh, but it, but I've also given them some leeway to make some decisions on their own, which empowers them as a team, uh, and allows them to kind of explore their own strengths in the business world that we're in today. So it's, it's a lot about, uh, empowering them, giving them their own uh, sense of responsibility and, and what's going on, what's going on, what y'all are doing. Yeah, we, we own what's going on, uh, in today's environment. We own what's going on with the, with the organization. Uh, and they've really appreciated, uh, the leeway because they can now make some decisions. Not that they haven't before. They always have, but I've, I've, I've cut a little more slack even, uh, to let them have a little more autonomy, which I think they've really appreciated. Well, that sounds great. Uh, I think, I think that's something that a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of micromanagers out there who are losing their minds right now. Oh, if uh, if that's in your mindset, you, yeah, you're probably going nuts right now. <laughs> so during this time, has there been a tool or a service that you've leaned on more than anything else? That you know, what, that one thing you could look at and say, mm, without that, I don't know how we'd have gotten through this. Um, well, so we're still figuring out the various technologies that have allowed us to even survive. We've done a couple of things. Uh, first off, I would tell you, probably 45 days ago, I didn't know what Zoom was. Now everybody's asking for a Zoom meeting. Uh, and so that's one aspect. The other is, uh, you know, getting comfortable with yourself on video is a whole other thing uh, that we're having to get used to. But even more than that, um, we're, we're now uh, trying to be as adaptive and adaptable to what's available out there so that we can continue business as seamlessly as possible. So, uh, you know, the Zoom experience has been one thing. The other thing is, uh, we had an old antiquated phone system and, you know, you had to be in office to answer the phone, get things done. Uh, and so when there were times when nobody's in office because we're all operating from different places and especially during the quarantining 
we were having to operate our phone system via voicemail. So we'd get a message and then we'd respond. We'd get a message and then we'd respond. Well, we've recently made a change to where uh, all our phones are now actively uh, put in as though or, or um, uh, they're working now as though we're in office. So somebody calls the office, they're reaching one of us, uh, which although that technology has been around a while, it's new to us. So when you combine the ability to uh, be virtually in office as though nothing has changed, along with being able to conduct meetings as though nothing has changed, uh, you know, so for, for us, I guess a lot of it has been technology based. Um, you know, so the ability to do video meetings, webinars, audio meetings uh, with the technology that we've been uh, taking advantage of is new to us, but it's all worked. So, I mean, so the question is, uh, what did we what did what has kind of been that revelation for us? Uh, it's that you can kind of go. And, and I guess when I was new to the organization, I learned that we were operating on a shoestring, but mostly it was to save money. Well, to save money. Uh, it meant that you had to operate with, with antiquated systems that many times didn't work the way you needed to, needed them to work. I would tell you, had we remained in that mindset, we would be in really dire straits right now. So the fact that we already recognized some of the things we needed to upgrade via technology, via video, via phone systems, servers, et cetera, uh, we were much more readily able to handle the changes that, that we're dealing with today. I think, you know, you've kind of hit on something there. It's something I try to encourage associations all the time, which is, yes, you need to be frugal. Yes, you need to be a good steward of your resources. But associations in particular cannot afford to be cheap. Uh, you, you have to have a, a, a certain quality of, of uh, when it comes to, I mean, obviously I'm a tech guy, so I think about things from a technical infrastructure standpoint. But for your members to be able to reach you and for you to be able to look like you know what you're doing, uh, I think it's so important to have that uh, infrastructure in place. Uh, so I think I think there is something there. Functionality is critical, and uh, and we knew that if we were going to be moving the mission of our organization to anything of significance, it meant that we could not be anchored to a physical office all the time. There is value. Don't get me wrong. There is value to having a physical space. We do have and retain a physical space. Uh, but the fact that we have been working steadily towards autonomy with technology and the ability to do it, there's no way we could have done it had we held the line on on uh, really restrictive budgeting for it. Yeah, um, it's all in my mind, the way I look at it, it's not necessarily in terms of what this service or that technology costs. It really goes in my mind to what is the ultimate return to our members, because if I can use these tools to expand the return, however that is, in membership, in education, in information flow, then it's worth the investment. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Keeping the members at the forefront of pretty much any decision you make. I think, I think that's fantastic. So for you, Roger Ariak, as the director of TAP, what has been the greatest management challenge you've had to face since we went into lockdown? Because you're based in Austin, so I think our shelter-in-place order went in place mid-March. What's been the greatest management challenge you faced during that time? The greatest management challenge uh, has not been with staff. Uh, it's not been um, with what we expect to do or what our goals or missions are. That's not been the management challenge. Our, our board has been very supportive. 
The management challenge has to do with what we mentioned earlier, which is how do we manage into the future not knowing what's about to happen? You know, uh, any trade association has to project uh, its events, has to project its revenue, its expenses, has to project the, the next level of, of leadership coming to your organization. And uh, if and so we are stuck watching day by day, trying to create a trail, a trend. We're watching the breadcrumbs behind us and trying to see what is coming next so that we're ready for it. And, you know, we we have some very distinct choices to make. And this has been my challenge. Uh, the choice of, hey, board members, it's time to relook at everything. And we're now going to go 100 percent virtual from now on. Well, that's a tough pill to swallow for an organization that's not been that way. Uh, and the other side of the equation is uh, my my other management option could be, OK, board members, you know, we think this is a temporary thing. And so we're planning 2021 to be as in any other year we've ever had. So we're not going to make any substantive changes. We're going to pretend uh, as though the 2020 experience was a fluke and we're going to go back to the way we've always done things. So somewhere in the middle is the answer, Dallas. And, and so the management challenge is really having to be a prognosticator. Uh, you know, part of my job is to be a forecaster, a, a fortune teller of sorts that needs to advise my board as to the best actions they can take uh, for this year and for next and beyond. And depending on certain actions I take today, uh, you know, one or two years from now, they may look back and say, that was real genius move, Roger. Thanks for thinking of that in advance. Or could be, you know, Roger, I don't know why you even thought this was an issue. It was never an issue. You took us down a rabbit trail we didn't need to go into. So uh, somewhere in the middle is the answer. And the biggest management challenge I have is figuring out where it is. So your biggest management challenge is trying to figure out where you're going. I think that's what so many people are worried about right now. And something that I hope that through this process of talking to people, we can kind of figure out what our I, I'm starting to dislike the term new normal because it's being so overused. But where our new normal will be. So for you, OK, on a, on a more personal level, uh, just as 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 a working professional, what has been the easiest part of transitioning to shelter in place and the hardest part? Um, the easiest thing for transitioning in place, uh, well, I don't know if it's easier, but it's, it's nice to be able to have an option to take a break occasionally to, uh, you know, work with my daughter on her homework or work on a project I'm working on separately, um, and then know that I can come back to work without having to drive for an hour to get there. Uh, so that has been relatively easy. Connecting with my team has been relatively easy. Um, those things are not detriments or barriers to me conducting work or my team conducting work. Here's what I will tell you that I didn't figure out till uh, fairly recently is that uh, I, in my house, uh, I've got two college age kids. I've got uh, a wife who is also working remotely and I have my daughter who is going to school remotely and I have one broadband. So... Uh, the challenge as I am experiencing, uh, by the way, which we also have televisions and other technology that run off that same broadband. Uh, and so I, I think the issue has been really the straining on broadband where as nice as it is to have a Zoom meeting or do something with technology, that glitching 
uh, straining our broadband is, is ultimately a, a constraint. And, uh, and I mention that regularly, uh, to folks because if I've got kids online with college courses or watching TV and my wife online doing the same thing with her work, uh, and I'm trying to get stuff done, sometimes, uh, it slows up a bit. I've, I've encountered that a lot in, uh, of, uh, uh, in a number of these interviews, it's come up already of uh, people who are saying, you know, I, I, finding out my Internet really can't hold up to all this traffic. And I think I think this is going to be a really great time to be in the Internet uh, business. I totally agree with that. So if you could go back and this is kind of a silly hypothetical, but I think it's important. Um, if you could go back in time to that mid-February when we really started to get these these little inklings of what was going on and you could warn yourself about one thing or give yourself one piece of advice for the coming weeks and months, what would it be? Uh, I would tell myself, uh, because, you know, for me, I've been a fairly uh, office laden person who can work. You know, for me, it was I would call it 75, 25, you know, 75 percent of my work in office and I do another 25 or 30 percent at home, whatever it would take to get the work done. Uh, I would tell myself, be ready for 110 percent out of office and planning your time accordingly, because I think a lot of the stress we are all experiencing is getting used to being home while also having the the mental discipline to separate work from personal. That's tough. Uh, because, you know, on the one hand, I, I sit in my study, I'm going through email, I'm doing my work, my projects. And then on the other hand, I can look out my window and know my yard needs cutting. Uh, and think that, you know what, um, I might take a break over my, you know, quote unquote lunch hour and go cut the yard. Uh, and, and I'm also simultaneously thinking, you know what, those trees need trimming and, uh, you know, that car could use some washing. And so it, it does require you to kind of split your mentality. Uh, to be functional in multiple venues, uh, because at the same time that's happening, uh, you know, my daughter's taking classes and she'll have questions for math and science. And guess what? I'm here and uh, and I can be asked questions. And so all those things come into play, not the least of which, by the way, is having your pets get used to having you home. Uh, you know, so the, there's uh, more demand for dog walks and and feedings and other things like that. So. It's really where we have all been groomed to separate our work lives from our personal lives. I would warn myself, be ready for the blending of all of it. Be ready for the blending of all of it. Yeah, I've, I've worked from home for years now, and uh, but I'm not used to my wife working from home. And so that's <laughs> been interesting, uh, the, the two of us around each other all the time and bumping into each other and running into similar internet connectivity issues. So, okay, it's a given that our world is going to be different post-COVID-19. It's it's a given that whatever normal looks like, as you kind of hinted at before, is is going to be different. Um, But if you could think, and you've touched on this a little bit, how do you think your world or TAP's world is going to change? Are there going to be more online courses? Are you, what are you looking at doing differently right now? I think that um, it's, a, it's, it's on various fronts, Dallas, because there's the immediate and then there's the future. 
And so many trade associations like myself are, what do I need to do to survive 2020? What decisions do we need to make? What monies do we need to spend or not spend? What uh, venues need to change? So it's it's that, uh, you know, I've, I've got to survive this year uh, financially to keep staff paid, to keep us engaged, uh, keeping in mind that, that trade associations, 501c6s, uh, have not been eligible for any of the federal financial assistance. So we're, we're in a different state of, of survival and how is that going to happen? So there's that. The other side of the equation is, uh, again, to what's permanent and what's not permanent. Uh, I would, I would venture that the far extreme of where my mind is, is, uh, do we need to rethink, uh, the, the intent, the mission, of what any trade association is and does. You know, we're here to represent the industry for education purposes, for legislative purposes, for business development purposes. That's what we do. So we have to evaluate into the long term how much of that stays, how much of that changes uh, venue, you know, electronically versus in person, uh, and how much of that even stays part of a business model. Uh, especially that there's going to be, of course, a lot more sensitivity to in-person meetings. Well, uh, you know, people join associations because they expect a return. And that return is generally in business opportunity or legislative advocacy or education. And so if, if we as trade associations need to evaluate where we stand on each of those fronts and how the quote unquote new normal will impact us in each of those fronts, because if if we can't find ways to to provide that value to our members, then we either need to find new ways of providing that value and give up the old ones, or we need to find new ways of of uh, of, of changing what we've done in the past to convert into what's happening currently and into the future. So it's either translating the past into into the present and future, or it's rethinking the whole thing altogether and say what should a trade association be. Uh, if if we can't do these other these certain components of our business, and I think that the association world has had a feeling for a while, kind of like what you touched on, that uh, things are evolving, things are changing. Uh, it just seems like COVID nineteen really accelerated that thought process. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do think that all those things uh, would probably occur to all association executive directors and CEOs, but on different time frames. You know, it's really it would really be based on the demands of the industry uh, as opposed to kind of it being forced uh, to be reckoned with because of uh, the covid experience. Yeah, this has kind of brought all of our all of our minds under the same question at the same time. Well, I'll also say, you know, it also causes all of us to think about how fickle our business and personal existences are, you know, how much, uh, you know, going to the local grocery store is a major part of your life now. Um, you know, how much uh, we depended on next year's uh, conference uh, and plan for that revenue to exist as an organization. And now having to rethink how all this happens, you know, we have an annual, uh, last year our annual conference uh, attracted over 1,200 people. Well, those same 1,200 people aren't even allowed to coexist together uh, for a few days. So, uh, you know, that is how we survived. And now we have to rethink, well, if we can't have an in-person 1200 person conference, how do then, and it's valuable to our members, otherwise they wouldn't show up. How do we, 
convert that value into something comparable um, that may not require in person. By the way, may not require virtual because people are getting they're already tired of the virtual existence. Uh, you know, the, when we first had uh, our webinar, we, we did our one of our first webinars, which was planned as an in-person event. Uh, and then we had to immediately pivot. This would have been really 30 days ago. Uh, we had to immediately pivot into a virtual event. Um, you know, it was set up to be a three hour deal and uh, in person. So when we told everybody, by the way, we're shifting over to a webinar format, everybody was cool about it. Uh, but man, I will tell you, wore me out, uh, watching a, a webinar and participating in a webinar for, for over three hours. So we know that that's not the standard, but we kind of had to live through that, uh, at that first kind of experience transitioning from what was supposed to be in person to something else. And, uh, you know, so top to bottom, we are all rethinking our existences. I think trade associations have a lot to deal with. Uh, because, you know, we're not getting the federal assistance. We're having to rethink our value. Uh, you know, it's not that we don't have value. It's figuring out how do we provide it in a new way. And, and that to me will be some of the biggest challenges we all have to deal with, uh, even in the next year or two. Okay. This is my last question. And uh, I, I appreciate all the time you've given me already. Uh, so for anyone out there who feels completely lost. They feel like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I'm doing or I've already totally screwed things up. What am I supposed to do going forward? If you could give them a piece of advice, what would you say? You know what I would tell you is, <laughs> I'll give you a little anecdote. Um, many, many years ago, uh, I worked for a, a city and uh, there was a, a, a parks director. Uh, you know, he was nearing retirement age but I was running around frantically, uh, chaotically trying to solve problems, deal with issues, uh, as any, any city employee would because there's just too many things to get done at any given time. And, and I sat down with him at lunch one day and I asked him, how is it that you deal with as many issues as I do, <clears throat> but yet you take it and you're fine with it? You're, you're not uh, visibly upset by it. You're not. Uh, you're able to handle it all in stride and you're doing very well. How do you do that? And here's what he told me. He said, Roger, I learned many years ago that if it doesn't bite you or eat you, you'll be all right. <laughs> and so I remember that years later, mostly because I've had others, uh, and I agree, have told me, you know, this is a blip. This is a glitch. We don't know how long. We don't know how intense. But we're going to come together and we're all going to figure this out. And because we're all affected by it, we're all going to want to fix it. So there should be nobody that, that should feel as though they are left out and isolated. Although we're quarantined, that's a different version. We're all dealing with it in, in the same form. There's nobody alone. Everybody's dealing with the same issues, much like you've outlined here and talking to other association folks. Uh, we're experiencing similar things. So nobody should feel isolated. And, uh, and, and there's always going to be a need. So I, you know, nobody I should, I would think would come away from this whole experience and think, you know what? My revelation is I'm not needed because that's not the case. Uh, I would venture to tell you that, uh, we will find out where our biggest values come from because of these crises and these times and how we respond to them. As I tell my children every day, you know, dealing with crises is going to be part of the rest of your life. 
it's not that you're not going to deal with them. You are. The question is how you handle it when it's time and how you respond to it when it's time. Because uh, the option is always going, you're always have the option to, to lay down and do nothing. You'll always have the option to do everything. And you will always find the most value in being act, an active participant in your own future. And uh, so I tell them that. I believe that today. Uh, you know, I, and I would tell that to anybody who might feel uh, out of sorts based on what they're experiencing at the same time. That's awesome. Roger, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I think I feel like I've learned a lot. Uh, and I hope uh, those listening have uh, have gotten something out of this, too. I know they have. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, stay safe. You got it. You do the same, Dallas. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story, and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com, and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.